today's text is Matthew 6:19 through 34. Do not lay up yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither soar, sow nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field and how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, Where shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the word of the Lord. All right, good morning, everybody. Go ahead and have a seat. Happy Memorial Day. Uh, remember, Memorial Day weekend is not just a day where we get a, uh, an extra, not just a weekend where we get an extra day off, but today where we remember those who sacrificed their lives in war for our country and for our freedom. So we thank God for his common grace that he extended to them that they could follow uh, in his footsteps. And uh, scripture says, no greater love has this than the man lay down his life for another. And so obviously Christ laying down his life far exceeds that, but they walked um, in a grace that God gives more than we have. And so praise God for that and that we get to gather this morning uh, and reap the fruit and the benefit of that. Um, <clears throat> so we're going to continue uh, in our Sermon on the Mount series, and uh, Sermon on the Mount is Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. Uh, it is, it is Jesus' first message, if you will, the first recorded message that we have in all of Scripture, um, and we've entitled this series, A Message from the King. And so each week we've stopped and we've looked at um, the, the different Scriptures and, and what it is that Jesus is saying to his disciples. Because remember, most every time that you see Jesus teaching in Scripture, he's not teaching the masses, but he's actually teaching his, his disciples. But the message is so radical, and they, they, they remember, most of these people knew the disciples. They knew James and John and Peter and Andrew, and, and they're like, wait a minute, what is it that got these guys from where they were to where they are now? And that idea, and in fact, Peter writes about that in one of his letters, 1 Peter, where he writes about how the world sees that we're different and they, and they wonder why. And so Jesus is sitting here with his disciples teaching them. And so what is it that Jesus is saying? 
Now, at this time, it hadn't fully been revealed to the disciples that Jesus was the king. And when we say king, we mean that Jesus is the one that God sent to rule all things. And it also wasn't apparent to the disciples that Jesus was the Messiah, the one that they'd been promised. So when we say Messiah, we mean the one sent to save. So Jesus is both the Messiah of God's people and the king. He's the one that God sent to save his people. He's the one that God was sent to rule not only his people, but rule all things. And so when we stop and we look at what is the message of the king, and as I, as I look at where we are at as a church and in my own life, uh, you know, there is no better text. In fact, I was having a discussion with this somebody in the last few weeks, but I don't think there's a better text that we could have ended um, our time together on than uh, the Sermon on the Mount and hearing from Jesus. And this morning, what I want to do, so our, our message this morning is entitled, A Message of Sovereignty. And one of the things that I hope that over the years that you guys have kind of um, <clears throat> garnered or, or learned um, is in the way that we, the way that we try to preach and, 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 and explain Scripture um, is a way that should help, hopefully help and instruct you in your personal devotions. And what I mean by this is, that, is the two biggest questions to ask and to answer as you're sitting reading Scriptures on your own, and this is one of the things that most people uh, have trouble with when, when I sit and talk with them, is one is, what does this mean? Just, what does that even mean? Uh, and then the second one is, what does that have to do with what I read yesterday? Or hopefully you read yesterday, or last week, or last month. Or, but the idea is, how does what the section that I just read, how does that fit in with the whole those are two things that are the common, most commonly hard for people to understand in their devotions because here's the tricky part of, of, of preaching and coming to hear somebody preach, and that's why it's not enough for you, um, is we can only preach segmented and choppy, right? We can't sit and effectively preach Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 all in one sitting. So, so we break it up in, in a way that is most helpful, but it wasn't, Jesus didn't give it to his disciples, one week at a time. It was one sitting. It's one message. The Sermon on the Mount isn't a collection of messages like we're presenting it. It's one message. Simply, the whole message is a message from the king, and now we're looking at the different aspects of that message. But Scripture is not segmented and choppy, and it flows together, and it must be understood in the whole. And so hopefully what you've seen as we've gone through Scripture together on Sunday mornings is, is that we take a passage, no matter how large it is, whether it be a verse or whether it be like this morning, verses 19 through 34, and we ask, listen, these are kind of the same things that we were taught in elementary school, which really is kind of the foundation of education. Is, and this is what we constantly remind our kids is the reason that I need you to learn, the reason we want you to learn to read, the reason we want you to learn to write is so that you can learn to read Scripture on your own. And then, so God chooses, you can begin to write about it and share it in a way that is effective. It's not just about graduating, and it's not just about getting a good job and making money, right? There's a bigger picture. So that you could yourself enjoy and read the depths and the things of God that He has for you. So that in turn, you could could communicate those effectively, whether by writing them or speaking them or texting them in, you know, text language. But... That's the reason, that's the purpose in understanding it. And so what we've tried to do and what, you'll, what hopefully you've noticed is we take a passage of text and we basically together ask the question, what does it mean? And usually I present that to you in two ways. One, the title of the message, and then two, the truth that we're going to be studying together that morning. And then we work hard to show you how 
it not only is just, are we just looking at Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 34, but what does verses 19 through 34 have with verses 1 through 18 of Matthew chapter 6? And then what does it have to do with Matthew chapter 5? And then what does it have to do with the whole New Testament? Right? And then what does it have to do with all of Scripture, Old and New Testament together? Now, obviously, we don't go to those extents every week, but on some level, we try to do that for you. And one of the things that I want to point out this morning about this morning's message, as it flows in all of the Sermon of the Mount, is as we talk about God's sovereignty today, what I want you to notice is that Jesus didn't open up his message talking about God's sovereignty. That's not where Jesus started. Jesus didn't start with his disciples by saying, God is sovereign over all. So believe, fall in line, have faith. It's not where he starts. And see, this is typically, if you've been around church at all and you know anything about uh, what is known as the Reformed circle versus non-Reformed circles, is, is the Reformed circles tend to hound and, and, and believe in, which is a good thing, but they believe in God's sovereignty. But oftentimes the critique of that is that that's where they always start. That's what we're calling people to believe in. And I once uh, had it uh, told to me this way, is, is, that, is that believing um, in, in Reformed theology uh, is like underwear. You always have it on. You never leave home without it, but you don't wear it on the outside. <laughs> and what they're saying is you don't lead with God's sovereignty. Is God sovereign? Yes. And we're going to talk about that this morning. And I've come to believe, and as I've grown and matured, that I think that actually one of the most foundational, foundational components to faithfully following God and maturing in Christianity is a deeper belief and rest and trust in God's sovereignty. But we don't lead with it. It's not where Jesus opened his message to his people. Think back with me at the beginning of Matthew chapter 5. What was the first thing that we talked about? God's heart to bless his people. Jesus opens his Sermon on the Mount with God's heart to bless his people. For God's people to know that he distinctly is God and that walking in his ways brings distinct blessing that cannot, will not be found or brought about by serving or following anything or anyone else. And then Jesus kind of went into expound upon this message of blessing by talking about how we're to be the salt and the light. And that's a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy where God told Abraham that through your seed, I will bless all nations. You see, us, the people of God, the church of God, being salt and light in the earth is a fulfillment of God's word to Abraham that all nations will be blessed through you. We talked about salt and light and about how the light is how the world sees us do good deeds. We're to do good deeds. God ordained us to do good deeds. That's the light. But the salt is that we proclaim why we do good deeds, why we believe in good deeds as we're doing good deeds. And that through our good deeds and through the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the lost will be saved from all nations. It's not, it's not just one group of people or one nation or one country or one sect of people that are going to be blessed and, and, and be saved at the hearing of the gospel. It's all people. And so not only is God's heart to bless his individual people, but his heart is to bless all people. And the way that that comes about is by us living distinct from the world. And then we talked about how God is a God of righteousness. And only 
people who are fully righteous can spend eternity in the presence of God. And that's bad news if we stop there. See, that's one of the things that we try to proclaim as Christians is is we're not just like in la-la land only believing in this good euphoric thing in the future. But I've told you often that you cannot believe and understand and grasp the good news until you know the bad news. And the bad news is that when we look at Jesus, the way that he laid out the righteousness that God requires, that we, there's, it's impossible for us to live righteously before God. It's not difficult. It's impossible. But then we looked at verse 17 of chapter 5, how Jesus says, I did not come to abolish the law and prophets, but I came to fulfill them. And how on our behalf, the good news of the gospel of Jesus is that on our behalf, Jesus lived perfectly righteous because he knew that we couldn't. And that the cross, that was extended to all those who believe. Therefore, we can be citizens in God's kingdom. And this week, I want to look at God's sovereignty. Now, this this week, I, I will admit to you, I told Katie this week that this has been one of the absolute most challenging messages to study for, not because I wrestle with the truth of it or struggle with the truth of it, but because it is so broad that bringing it into one message has been difficult. Also, in today's message, we're going to see, you, probably, you already heard them, but three of Jesus's most famous, distinct claims or sayings are found in today's text. Three of them. Like, you don't have to be a, stu- a student of Scripture to have heard that where your treasure is, your heart will be also. You don't have to be a faithful follower and lover of Jesus to have heard who can add a single day to his life by worrying and being anxious. And you don't have to be a disciple of Christ to hear, seek first God's kingdom, to have heard, seek first God's kingdom, everything else will be added unto you. But in our text this morning, we have all three of these things. These famous, famous sayings that in and of themselves could be entire sermon series built upon each one of these verses. But yet, how do those three go together? What do they mean? How do they flow with Scripture? And I think that the way that they flow together is under this message of sovereignty. And so I want to look at that with you this morning. You see, it is possible, listen to me, it is possible to love Jesus without fully believing or submitting to the idea that God is sovereign over all. There are many Christians who don't believe that God is sovereign, for say, over salvation or sovereign over sanctification. And they can love Jesus. Some of our dearest friends that love Jesus more than a lot of people that we've met in our whole lives fully don't believe in God's sovereignty over salvation like we do. But they love Jesus and they work diligently to proclaim his name. But here's what I would say to that. I would say that you lose the peace that comes from resting in God's power and his hand of providence when you can't understand life. You see, I think that there is a link between peace and rest in the midst of storms and trials and believing in God's sovereignty. And here's what I mean. If you don't believe in God's sovereignty, then in the midst of a trial, you're going to just constantly wrestle and figure out what you did to get into the mess or how you're going to get out of it. You're going to spend your time through the trial wondering, what did I do wrong? What could I have done better? What can I fix to make this right? And believe me, as we walk through this time together as a church, all of those things have 
I've, I've, I've struggled not to fall in and believe those things. But God has constantly brought me back to his hand of sovereignty and his hand of providence. And the error in not believing, the possible error, the risk of not believing in God's sovereignty over salvation and sanctification is falling into a faith of works, a faith of your own works, right? Back to the, what did I do? How do I get out of this? How do I fix it? God won't bless me unless I become a better person. And so we have to understand this in light of all of Scripture. But now listen, imagine with me the unrest. Put yourself on the mount with the disciples sitting at Jesus' feet. Imagine the unrest that the disciples felt after hearing Jesus' message up to this point. Think about it. Starts out great. God wants to bless. And then you're like, wait a minute, I have, God blesses this? I have to forgive? <laughs> right? I have to go out of my comfort zone and make peace with those who are at war with one another? That's what God blesses? I have to mourn over my sin? God bless who mourn over their sin? I just want to forget about my sin. I want to pretend it didn't happen. And I sure the heck hope nobody saw it happen. Because then I get really uncomfortable. But thus far, Jesus has laid out a message. Remember, the king, Jesus, has laid out a message to his that is an absolute contrast to life as they know it. You see, don't believe that because we live so many thousands of years later that life was so different back then. In fact, this is what King Solomon says when he says that there's nothing new under the sun. This is what he means. There's no new way to sin. Lust isn't new. Greed isn't new. Struggling to get along in a marriage isn't new. Struggling to walk in obedience to God, struggling, struggle to walk uh, as a holy person, set apart for God's purposes, that struggle's not new. All of the worldly enticements, they're all there. That's not new. So these disciples had every battle of the flesh that you and I had. Every single one. And Jesus is calling them to a message of complete contrast. Think about their Jewish traditions. Where they've been taught since little kids that in order to be pleasing to God, you have to do all of these traditions and all these sacrifices and all this cleansing and hand washing. You can't touch this and you can't touch that. And if you do, you've got to go out of the city for seven days and wait till you're... All these things, that's what they'd known. And then Jesus lays out this message of righteousness. Where he says, you've heard it said that if you have an affair... But I tell you, don't lust. You've heard it said, don't murder. But I tell you, if you have anger in your heart, you've murdered. Jesus called them to a life of salt and light. Jesus called them, listen, to follow him as king. To follow him as the king. There were other worldly kings. The idea of king wasn't as foreign to them as it is to us. In fact, they were under a king. Think of what these men had to lose. You know, king, earthly kings get really jealous when they hear of other kings coming. Remember the whole reason Jesus had to flee, when Mary and Joseph had to flee to another land? Remember the, the story with um, the, the, the wise men coming and they come and see King Herod and what does Herod do when he hears that there's a king being born? 
He freaks out and he has all the kids under a certain age killed. Kings protect. It's treason. These men had a lot to lose. Their jobs, their family, their acceptance as good, good, uh, good Jewish citizens. Everything that you and I have to risk, they risked. The only thing that might be a little different and more intense for them is that this was new. We've heard about this for a few thousand, a couple thousand years now. This was new to them. This was new to the world. When I was up in Reno at the Acts 29 conference, I got to sit and talk with a guy that's actually from Fresno, and he was telling us that um, when he believed, uh, he was literally excommunicated from his family. They want nothing to do with him. Nothing. He lost his mother and his father and his brothers and his sisters because of his belief. It's real. This is the weight that these men, right, in their flesh are battling right now, sitting listening to this message. Now listen, in the midst of this battle, here's the lie that we're tempted to believe. That in order for me to have peace, I have to be in control. Or I at least have to know how this is going to play out. You can control it, God. Just let me know what's going to happen ahead of time so I can be okay with it. Ease my pain a little bit. Bring a little bit of my comfort back. Okay, I surrender. You're in control. I'm not going to try to control it, God, but I want to know. Because we think that that is the only way for us to experience peace. That's what we believe. How's this going to turn out? The only way I can have peace in the midst of it is if I see the end result. Give me a word, God. And you see, this is where we very much begin to expose these source idols that our hearts wander to. The idol of comfort. The idol of acceptance. God, if I follow you, if I take this step of faith, what are people going to think of me? What are they going to think of me? If we do the hard things, God, what are the people going to think of us? And see, sometimes this pressure isn't only from outside, like in the world, outside the church, but it could come very much from inside the church also. What are they going to think of us? What are they going to think of me? We bought a new devotional for the kids that we go through with them together. And one of the recent days, the verse that it, that it, that it kind of um, singled out was Psalm 100, verse 3. And it says this, Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. That was so refreshing to my own soul. And oftentimes when I begin to lose it in my flesh and my sin, I will remind myself, whoa, wait a minute. Right now I'm not believing that I am God's. And more importantly, not more importantly, but just as important, right now, I'm not believing that you are God's. I'm believing that you are mine, sent to worship and follow me and do what I want. And I've used that same thing with my kids. Let's stop right now. Whose are you? Whose are you? Is that how you're acting? Right now, does your life reflect the fact that you believe that God made you and you are His? Or does your life reflect the fact that you think that you made yourself, and that everybody is yours. See, that's the lie. But the truth is this. The truth is that the king's message of sovereignty, listen, it enables 
it enables his people to live in peace. In fact, I would go so far to say that if we did not believe in the doctrine of sovereignty, and if, and if God was not sovereign, then peace would be impossible to obtain. True peace. Peace that surpasses all understanding. The peace that the Bible offers God's people would be impossible if God were not sovereign. Because you've got nothing to rest in. Instead of resting in what is certain... You rest and you hope for what the best outcome is. And even then, what is the best outcome? How would you ever know what's the best outcome? Then we would interpret the best outcome solely as what makes us the happiest or the most comfortable. Do you know that sometimes in God's sovereignty, the best outcome in a situation is not our, our comfort and our control of things? But in fact, it's the exact opposite, so that our faith in him would end. Why? Because we will again see that God proves himself faithful. You see, we cannot know that God is faithful until we've been through trying times where we have seen God prove himself faithful. See, trials aren't sent to us so we can see how much faith we have. They're so that we will see how faithful our God is that keeps us in his hand and walks through trials with us and promises that nobody, that no one, that no thing could ever separate us from the love of God. If God were not sovereign, that would be an empty promise. But God is sovereign, and we can rest in that. Now, in these verses this morning, I believe that there are three areas specifically that Jesus mentions where uh, because of God's sovereignty, we can have peace. And that's what I want to spend the little bit of time I have left this morning walking through with you. So again, if, if, back to what I opened with this morning about how the reason that we preach or the way that we've gone about preaching is to help you in your personal study. We're going to begin to answer what does all of this mean? The king's message, number one, the king's message of sovereignty gives his people peace because God rewards. That's what it says. That's what Jesus wants his people to know. God rewards. Where do we see this? Look at verses 19 and 20 of chapter 6. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. And if you remember in last week's message at the beginning of chapter 6, we saw that God rewards. And so Jesus is continuing to build upon this idea that God rewards. And this gives us peace. Listen, in the midst of life, let me take that back, not in the midst of life. In the midst of faithfully being a disciple-making disciple, this brings peace. Because God rewards You see, if we are striving to make disciples, be faithful disciple-making disciples, then we don't have to try and work for ourselves so that we're esteemed here on earth. We don't have to try and work for ourselves and say the only way we succeed is if we're huge, right, and we have all these campuses and we videotape in the sermons from the pastor because that means that he's awesome. We don't have to have faith in that. See, we don't measure success the way the world measures success because God rewards. 
And here what Jesus says, he says, lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. You know what that means? That means, this is the big one, that means you might not ever see those treasures until you're in heaven. That means that we might spend our lives working and toiling in the life of an unsaved loved one. And we might not ever see the reward for that until we're in heaven. But God is sovereign. He sees it and he promises to reward. And if we rest in God's sovereignty, then it brings us peace in the midst of our work. Because God rewards. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, I shared this with you a few weeks ago when I read you guys the letter I wrote, but beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Because God is sovereignty, our labor in the Lord is not in vain, even if we don't see the fruit of that work until heaven. Be encouraged. Continue to faithfully Pray for that wayward spouse or child. Continue to listen and invest and get to know that lost coworker. Continue to sacrifice on behalf of your neighbor who is lost and places his faith in something that you know is fleeting and only ends in ultimate separation from God. Continue. God is sovereign. He sees our good works, the Bible tells us, and He rewards us. Now, I will tell you, as I did last week, I think it was, that the ultimate reward is Christ Himself. But as we looked at some of the original language last week, that word reward actually is, is associated with when a worker gets paid on a regular basis. So it, it insinuates that not only will we be rewarded in heaven, but it insinuates also that there will be rewards here on earth. But don't think it's a one-for-one thing. Well, I gave money, so I'm going to get money someday. Right? I gave this up, so I'm going to get it back someday. It's not necessarily how it works. But God will reward, and He does bless. Look at verse 21. Here's one of the three famous sayings of Jesus. He says, now remember, he just got done saying, don't lay up treasures on earth because what? They're temporary. They destroy. They're not for eternity, but lay up treasures in heaven. Why? Because they're for eternity. Nobody can take them from you. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Is Jesus your treasure? Is Jesus your treasure? Or is Jesus a nice insurance policy for eternity? Or is Jesus a nice, if you're playing Monopoly, is Jesus a nice get-out-of-jail-free card? Or is Jesus, is the king himself the treasure? Do you know that there is only peace in heaven? Do you know that? There's no strife. There's no wondering or questioning who's in control. There's no doubting God's sovereignty in heaven. If your treasure is in heaven, this is what the Bible says, where your treasures are, your heart will be. If your treasure is in heaven, your heart will be in heaven, which means you will have peace. You see, if your treasure is in heaven, in Christ, who is waiting to return for his people, who is waiting to bring his people finally to himself, who is waiting to set up his eternal physical reign here on earth, 
undo every wrong thing that's ever been done. If, if, you're, if your treasure is in that and in heaven, then all you can know is peace. It's impossible not to have peace. Peace that surpasses what? All understanding. Why? Because it doesn't make sense. Because all I experience here is strife and turmoil and loss. But to have peace and God's sovereignty and what He will do brings peace that surpasses the circumstances we go through. If Christ is your treasure, you will know peace. You see, God's sovereignty frees us from the worthless pursuit of worldly wealth and acknowledgments. Do you guys know that? We're freed from that. This is what he's talking about. Verse 24, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. But you've been freed. God is sovereign. He rewards in a way that is secure, that is sovereign. So rather than toiling for earthly rewards, rather than toiling for acknowledgments from man, rather than toiling for increased materialism and comfort, see Christ as your treasure and work in his kingdom. Second, the king's message of sovereignty gives his people peace because God knows. That's it, period. Don't wait for me to finish that sentence. That sentence is complete. That's it. Because God knows. Well, God knows what? God knows. Remember when Moses, when God called Moses to go to the um, Egyptians? And Moses says, well, who should I tell him that sent me? And he goes, Moses, tell him that I am sent you. You are what? That's incomplete. Like, that's the way we think, right? Like, you are what? You are powerful. You are sovereign. You are what? I am. I am. The king's message of sovereignty gives us peace because God knows. Now, listen, in this section, we transition now in verses 26 and 28 here. And Jesus begins talking about birds and how they eat without toiling, without working. And, and, and flowers of the field who are clothed in beauty without doing anything. And Jesus sets up this picture of, yes, it is his, God is, it is his beautiful creation that we should steward well. But listen, but listen, in comparison to God's image bearers, God's chosen people, birds and lilies mean nothing. They don't have the significance and the value that God's people have. And this is what he tells them. He says, birds eat. Birds eat. Lilies are clothed. Don't worry about it. Verse 27, he says, and which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? You see, if you rest in God's sovereignty, you will not be anxious in life situations. Do you realize that? That's what Jesus is saying. Belief and rest in God's sovereignty frees us from anxiety that plagues us as people. Let me read you a few facts on anxiety. This is from the Anxiety and Depression Association of America. Anxiety disorders are the most common mental illness in the U.S. Mental illness, did you hear that, right? Okay, that's what anxiety and depression are classified as, as a mental illness. They affect 40 million adults in the United States ages 18 and older. 40 million people walk around. 18%, that represents 18% of the adult population. 18% of the people that you know are anxious or depressed. 
In America, we spend more than $42 billion a year trying to fix our anxiety. $42 billion a year. Two medications alone, the two most popular medications given to work to, to, to fix anxiety and depression, we spend over $5 billion a year. Those two medications alone. $5 billion a year medicating our anxiety and our depression. Is it working? Is it working? You stop the medication, what happens? The anxiety comes back. Not to say that medication doesn't have its place, but it is fully and boldly to tell you that medication is a horrible savior. It is a terrible deliverer. Don't lay up for yourself your treasures on earth. Lay up for them in heaven. You see, God's sovereignty frees us from the worthless pursuit of control. And that's what anxiety is. Anxiety is a battle for control. Depression is a battle for... Is, it, depression is a, is a response to a lack of control. Anxiety is the battle for control. Depression is the result from you losing control or realizing you don't have control. Now look what Jesus says to his people in verse 32. He says, For the Gentiles seek after these things. What things? After what they're going to wear and what they're going to eat. And now remember, this is in the context of these disciples are risking everything in following Jesus. They could get fired. They could get fired. Their families could leave them. You get fired from your job, you're going to worry about what you're going to eat and what you're going to wear, right? See how relevant this is? But Jesus says in verse 32, For Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need all of them. God's sovereignty brings us peace because we know, because God knows. Rest. Rest. Stop battling for control. Stop despairing because you're not in control. Rest in God's sovereignty. Thirdly, lastly, the king's message of sovereignty gives his people peace, ultimately because God provides. That's what wraps this together, right? You see, it's a complete message of sovereignty. This is why it can't be chopped or segmented. They go together. God provides, verse 33, Jesus says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. Seek first God's kingdom. What does that mean? That means blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. We're right back to the beginning of the message where we started. Seek first God's kingdom. Rest in the sovereignty of the king. You, you know, we sing songs that, I, that used to bother me until I like, thought about it. You guys realize that sometimes you need to think about the words of the songs we sing even here on Sunday mornings, right? Like we sing this song here that says, we crown you king. And initially I'm like, well, that's baloney. We don't crown God king. He is king. But here's what that song is saying. Here's what we're saying when we sing that song. We're taking the little lowercase crowns off of our head, right? <laughs> and we're throwing them at the foot of the king. You see, we are not establishing Jesus as king, but we are naming him king over our life. That's what those songs teach us. Augustine, the church father, and a sermon on John chapter 4 has, has what has become a very infamous paraphrase from his sermon, and it's this. Love God and do whatever you please. 
For the soul trained in love to God will do nothing to offend the one who is beloved. You understand what that means? That means seek first God's kingdom and all these things will be added unto you. Where do you want to live? Love God and who cares? Serve God where you're going to live. What job are you going to take? Who cares? Love God. Because if you love God, ultimately you're not going to take a job or live somewhere in a way that offends Him. Seek first His kingdom. You see, God's, listen, listen. God's sovereignty frees us from having to know what to do. It frees us to just live life. What will we do? I don't know. We're going to love God. That's what we're going to do. We're going to seek God's kingdom because he's promised us that when we do that, he'll take care of our needs. Why? Because his heart is to bless and care for his people. He is a good provider. Romans 8.28 is the verse that John Piper says that all of his ministry is founded on. Romans 8, 28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. You see, Piper goes on to say that Christians believe that sooner or later, the sorrows and pains and disappointments and losses, they will work together for good. All things. All things. Verse 35 of Romans chapter 8 Apostle Paul goes on to name what he means by all things, and it pretty much means all things. Trials, tribulation, famine, persecution, nakedness, danger, death. All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purposes. God's sovereignty gives us peace because God provides. In the midst of our time together as a church, it's a little scary, it's very sad. One of my biggest worries, not as a leader, but as a father and as a husband, is where are we going to go? What are we going to do? But do you realize that God's sovereignty releases me and frees me from that worry? I don't have to be anxious about where we'll go, and I don't have to be depressed because this didn't work. Because God is sovereign, and I can rest. I can find peace. We can find peace. You see, the gospel really is good news. I hope you believe that. The gospel really is good news. So don't believe the lie that in order for you to have peace, you have to be in control or at least have to know the outcome. But seek first God's kingdom and believe that God's message, the king's message, remind us that God is in control, enabling us to live in complete peace. Stand with me and we'll pray. God, I, 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 um, Lord, I'm just really um, humbled and in awe that you, the God of the universe that created all things, wants me and us to know that you created us and we are yours. You want us to know, God, that that is not a overbearing, narcissistic claim, God, but it is a truth that brings us peace and acceptance. 
the fact that a perfect and holy and righteous God who, who cannot allow sin and evil to remain in your presence, God, the fact that you would look at us and say that we are yours brings humility and love and acceptance like we don't experience anywhere. In fact, God, oftentimes it's too good for us to believe. God, we've been conditioned to believe that if it's too good to be true, then (laughs) it's not true. And God, life tells us that that is always true, except in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray, God, this morning that we would be freed from anxiety, that we would be freed from depression. Not only, God, would we be freed from them, but I pray, God, that we would repent from them, that we would turn and release the control that we think we have in life and this world. And that as we let go of control and anxiety and depression and worry and restlessness, that our hands would be filled with the sovereignty of God. That we would find the sovereignty of God and the work of Jesus more valuable than the sovereignty of man and the work of our own hands.